listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly masterclass interviews on topics to help you make your first or next step in business the right one. I'm your host, Alex Sanfilippo. Would you like to make more room for happiness in your life? Many of us entrepreneurs have very little room for anything other than the work we're doing. Today's guest is Gretchen Rubin, and she has a very simple solution for us. In her latest book titled Outer Order, Inner Calm, she explores 150 simple ways that we can increase our happiness through decluttering and organizing. Gretchen is the best-selling author of many books, including The Happiness Project, and she's the host of the podcast titled Happier with Gretchen Rubin. As you can tell, happiness is her topic, and the unique ideas and perspectives that she's going to bring today are so important for us to cover. Plus, she has a great bonus toward the end of the episode that you're not going to want to miss. For links to resources that will be mentioned during this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 077. Get ready to learn some very simple ways to increase your happiness and experience an inner calm. Here is my conversation with Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen, welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. I'm so happy to be talking to you. Yes, I'm, I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited about what we're going to get into today. But before I start talking about your newest book, uh, Outer Order, Inner Calm, I want to mention that you are the happiness person, the positive habits woman. Why did you write a book about decluttering and organization? Well, you know, I've been talking about happiness and good habits for years. And one of the things that I noticed um, that seemed kind of funny to me is how often people would say, and I feel exactly the same way myself, that clearing clutter gave them this almost weird sense of energy and focus and sense of possibility. Uh, for most people, creating outer order gives a bigger sense of inner calm and inner energy, uh, really more than it should, because we can all agree that something like a crowded coat closet or an overflowing in-basket is not a major element in life. And yet we seem to get a disproportionate boost from, from, uh, from, from getting control over it. There's something about getting control over the stuff of our lives that makes us feel more in control of our, our lives generally. So I wanted to explore that because I was like, that's weird. I feel the same way, but it's, it's kind of funny how, how much the effect is. And I wanted to write a book to explore that phenomenon. Yeah, I personally really enjoyed the book. I picked it up and it seems like, I'm just guessing here, it's around 150 different uh, mm -hmm. different points throughout the book. And they're all like bullet points and things like that. Really actionable. It's one of those things that I, I immediately did a couple of these things. And I was like, wow, I, I, I actually feel more calm about this now. Like I feel better after doing this. So it's one of those things that like, I think you're right on the money with it, but it was something I never even considered at all. So I'm, again, I'm really excited that you took the time to do this. But now I have to ask so a lot of the creating a brand listeners, they are busy entrepreneurs, they maybe have a full time job and a side hustle, or they just jumped all in on what used to be their side hustle. They're not doing it full time. Does this really make sense for them? Do you think there'll be a real benefit to them doing this? Well, so here's what I would say. There is a small number of people for whom outer order does not create inner calm. These people are clutter blind. They don't see it. They don't notice it. My sister like is like this. She, you know, she wouldn't close a kitchen cabinet door for the rest of her life if she didn't live with other people because she honestly doesn't care. So there's some people for whom it just doesn't matter, in which case, don't bother. But the fact is, for most people, they do get a greater sense of focus. They do feel a greater sense of kind of possibility um, when they clean things out. And if you're very, very busy, you can feel like, oh, the last thing I want to do is work on my home office. And yet when you get it under, under control, you will feel so much more comfortable in there. You'll feel like you can find what you want. You, you know, that sort of surgeon's feeling of being able to put your hands right on the tool that you need. Um, and one of the things I talk about in the book is how to do this in like 
the little bits of your day because nobody wants to spend half a day on a Saturday cleaning out their home office. So mm -hmm. I focus a lot on, well, what are the little things, what can you do a little bit at a time or what are the daily habits you can acquire so that it, so that you can tackle it without setting aside a big chunk of time because you're like, eh, I'd rather, you know, lie on the sofa and rewatch the office. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to clean out my clothes closet. It's like, okay, well, how can you do it in little bits? So um, it doesn't seem like such an overwhelming uh, task. Two things you just mentioned. First off, The Office. You said rewatch it. I think I've watched it about eight times through. It's oh, the only me. TV I watch. Oh, so a thousand, a hundred percent. We should <laughs> just sit here and talk about our favorite episodes of The Office. I could go uh, for hours. Yeah, it's delightful. I, I keep on yeah. wanting to get Michael Scott on to talk about uh, yeah. how I manage, but apparently it's yeah. not a real book and he's somehow, not a real person. Somehow so. I manage. Yes. <laughs> so you also mentioned being clutter blind. So you're yes. saying again, some people this just doesn't really make sense to. And you're saying they shouldn't try to change that. If that's just well, how they are, that's just how they are. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, they probably don't want to change it. I mean, they wouldn't buy mm -hmm. this book. They wouldn't care. Probably somebody's going to give them this book as a hint. But like, you know, <laughs> I love clearing clutter. I find tremendous, like, it's almost more fun for me to clear other people's clutter because it's like all the fun without the emotional uh, burden. So I, I beg my sister to let me clear her clutter because I find it so relaxing and energizing, uh, paradoxically. Um, but she doesn't really care. I mean, on balance, she would rather have things be tidy, but she doesn't really care. It doesn't really make a difference to her. But these people are rare. You know them. If you are them, or if you are one of them, or you are around one of them, you know that they are clutter blind. Um, but yeah, but for them, it's just, it doesn't really make a difference. Um, no, unless unless they can't find things, that's that's sort of a different thing. But you can mm -hmm. you can put things where you can find them and and still be pretty cluttered. Yeah, I've always found it fascinating because technically this book is in the self help or personal growth category, and it seems the people that pick up books like this are the ones that maybe need it least. If, if that makes sense. No, you know it's very interesting that you say that because what research shows is exactly that. And there's sort of this conception in popular culture that the people who buy self improvement books are kind of hanging on by their fingernails. But you're exactly right. People like that don't buy these books. Um, it's people who are already very high functioning who buy books because they are looking for the edge, and they also believe they've seen it work. Like they know, oh, you can do something better or boost, you know, get closer to your aims by learning about it. Um, and so actually the people who read self-improvement books are, are, are usually already doing pretty well. They're looking to up their game even further. And I, th I think I think you're right that this isn't necessarily what people think of, but that is that's what the research shows. Yeah, exactly. And I think that creating a brand, this is a great book for you to pick up and just something to consider as you're pursuing entrepreneurship. Maybe this could be a bit of a bonus for you to be a little bit more calm in the craziness of your, your lives and day. So with that said, I actually want to mention you list out nine promises in this book. I just want to highlight three real quick. You talk about how outer order will save us time, money, space, energy, and patience. Yeah. Outer order creates a sense of possibility and outer order shapens our sense of purposefulness. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the thing about when, we, when you go through the process of creating outer order, one thing is you you give yourself more space and that's more elbow room and just a feeling of there's room for new things to come in. Um and it also often what creating outer order requires is for us to get rid of things that we don't need anymore. We don't use anymore. It's to relinquish older parts of our identity or like the fantasy self. And so, you know, maybe I had this fantasy of I was going to learn how to play the guitar and I have a guitar and I have a stand and I have music and yet I never play the guitar and I just feel guilty every time I see this stuff and it kind of crowds my space. And if I if I just say, you know what? 
I'm going to let go of that fantasy self, give away the guitar, and that's going to give me more room for the things that I actually do do and that I do enjoy and love. And so by getting getting that stuff off of our shelves, we get it off our conscience and, and then we have more room for the things that are actually active in our lives. I love it. I'm excited to jump into some of these points now. We're just going to kind of rapid th- fire through some of the, these things through it. So you have five stages in the book. You have stage one, which is make choices. Stage two, create order. Stage three, know ourselves and others. Stage four, cultivate helpful habits. And stage five, add beauty. So just going with the first one here, I want to talk about the, the very first question that you kind of pose in this book is to consider the three big questions. Can you talk to us about those yeah. three big questions? Right. You know, Marie Kondo famously asked, you know, does this spark joy? And I think that that's a tough question because there's a lot of stuff I have in my apartment that I'm like, I don't know that it sparks joy, right? but it does its little job well. Like, I don't need to trade it in. I think that the three questions, do I need it? Do I use it? Do I love it? Um, th- those are kind of helped me clear my own clutter because it's like, Sometimes you need something that you almost never use, like a tuxedo um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, long underwear. If you live in California, it's like you don't use it that much, but you need it from time to time. And then there's stuff that you use that you don't really need, but, you know, you use it. And so it serves its purpose. And then there are things that we love. And sometimes we love something that we don't need or use. And but it still makes us happy just to have it. Um, and I think there's, there's room for, you know, just because something isn't used doesn't necessarily mean it's useless, but then there are things, you know, I don't need it. I don't use it. I don't love it. I I was going through clutter the other day and somehow, you know, I've been working on this for years and there was this giant metal mixing bowl on this top shelf that I had completely forgotten about. (laughs) And I'm like, well, obviously I don't even remember that we had that. Where did it come from? Maybe it was here when we moved in. I don't know. I don't, don't remember ever seeing it before. Clearly we don't need it. Use it. Love it. We should get rid of it. Right. I think that's a great framework there. Need it, use it, love it. I think that's a great way to evaluate it. It kind of goes right into another point that you had in the same section, which is don't aim for minimalism. So should we not be just trying to get down to the fewest amount of things we possibly can? You know, one question I say is like, are you a simplicity lover? Are you an abundance lover? And there are people who love minimalism. There are people who are simplicity lovers that really want to have bare shelves, a lot of room in the cabinets and the closets, not a lot going on, you know, one little rosebud with one little vase. And they are often very attracted to minimalism. But then there are abundance lovers and they love profusion and choice and buzz and collections and a lot going on. And it's not that one way is right and one way is wrong. And so I think for some people, minimalism is very attractive and is 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 wonderful. But I don't think that it's the one right way or it's the best way. And I think for a lot of people, you know, they have a lot like just do you absolutely need it? Um, It can almost be more stressful uh, to get down um, Mm -hmm. to that bare minimum. And so I think for some people. It's something that they want, but I don't think that it's a universal truth that is described something that works for everyone, because I don't I think a lot of it's just not the common experience of mankind. Um, right. For one thing. And, um, you know, it's like I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. Do I need all those books? No. No. Do I you know? And yet I love them. I, I want to have them around me. I, I enjoy having that profusion of books. It's not minimalist, but it definitely makes me happier to have them in my space. 
That's good. I'm glad we covered this point a little bit because I want to make sure to clarify with the listeners today that we're not talking about minimalism because I think a lot of people, it's kind of trendy today, right? So I think a yeah. lot of people just assume that's where we're heading, but it's definitely not. Well, and, and I also think that some people feel almost guilty about it. They feel guilty that they have an emotional attachment to objects. and But I mean, it's very natural to have uh, emotional attachments to objects. We often, um, you know, we... Objects remind us of the people and the places and the activities that we love. And if something is often precious to us because it belonged to someone who we love um, or it's associated with them in some way. And so I think it's not to dismiss this and pretend and, and to say, well, it doesn't matter and you should ignore it. It's more to say, yes, these things are important to you. But given that, um, you know, how do you how do you how do you manage that? So, for instance, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, I have all these things for my grandparents or like my mother died and I inherited all this furniture. And it's like, OK, well, you want to keep something to remind you of your grandparents. So my grandfather died. I had I, I could have taken his desk that he sat at all the time. The grandfather clock. He collected clocks a, uh, you know, or his pocket watch. He was a uh, engineer for the Union Pacific Railroad. So his pocket watch was very, very important to him. So do I take the desk? Do I take the grandfather clock or do I take the pocket watch? I take the pocket watch because <laughs> that I can just put on a shelf and they all, all of them are precious to me because they remind me of my grandfather, but I don't need all three. I don't even really need anything because I have my own memories of my grandfather, but I want something mm -hmm. just because I like, I like to have something that reminds me of him, but I can, instead of keeping all of them, I can say, well, one, one will be saturated with memory. I'll just pick this easy, this small, easy one um, to stand for all those memories. I think that's such a good point. So moving right along here is uh, this one's important for, for us entrepreneurs, because a lot of us, when we're allowed to, we go to conferences, right? So yeah. be aware of conference swag. Can you talk about this a little bit? Oh my gosh. The, the, water bottles, the keychains, <laughs> the tote bags, like don't take it unless you've literally thought to yourself, boy, I wish I had another, you know, water bottle. Uh, leave that stuff at the conference because it's always exciting to get that bag full of stuff and then you get home and you don't want any of it. It's so true. One of the things I'm, I'm really good about doing is I walk in, they're trying to hand you the bag. Yeah. Right? When you walk in the door, I say, no, thank you. And I know everyone has like the FOMO moment. They're like, what if it has a schedule and what if it has this? Yeah. When you walk 15 feet into that room that you're walking into, someone will have already dropped it and you can yeah. just pick up what you want from it. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. You know, and a lot of times people are like, I don't want to clear clutter because I don't want to contribute to the landfill. The fact is you contribute to the landfill the minute you reach out and take something. <laughs> true. Because <laughs> by taking it, you put it in, you like cement its relationship to the world. So if you don't want to, uh, don't want to contribute to the landfill, don't take stuff. Love it. Moving on to stage two is to create order. You have beware of clutter magnets. What is a clutter magnet? Well, we all have these. It's like a particular counter or like a chair in your bedroom or like maybe your stairmaster or something like that, where <laughs> just clutter just is attracted to it. So often if you clear that thing off and really work on keeping it clear, you don't accumulate cl clutter as much. Clutter tends to attract clutter. And if you keep spaces clear, um, it's much easier to keep them clear. Now, do you find that if you're keeping a certain type of thing there, which I'm going to give you an example at my house, for some reason, the corner of our counter ends up being a 
secondary trash can until the end of the day, where it's just not necessarily the, the stuff that would maybe not be good to put on the counter, but it's like you opened the mail and you'll just kind of put it right there and you'll move it to the trash can later. Do you ever find it's better just to relocate something like the trash can to where you seem to be dumping everything no, anyway? No, absolutely. That's a great idea. And certain things just seem to want to be in a certain place, whether it's something like mm -hmm. that, where it seems to be crying out for something like a trash can. So, okay, put a trash can there or something like a bathrobe. Like a friend of mine was like, I just, my bathrobe was always in my TV room. And finally I realized I should just keep it in my TV room instead of like trying to pretend like I keep it in my bedroom, uh, bat my bedroom closet, mm -hmm. just find a hook and put it away there because that seems to be where it wants to be all the time. So I think it, instead of constantly fighting that, it's really try to uh, be aware of it and play into it. So instead of having the stuff on the counter, have another trash can there. So you just can throw the stuff away right away without that intermediate step. Yeah, I like that point to put things away where they want to be. I thought that, yeah. that was one of the points in the book. I thought that was a really fascinating idea. So that's one of the things I'm starting to do. I'm, I'm following myself, taking inventory, evaluating where I drop things. Because yes. at the end of the day, it's like a, a cleanup, right? It's like, oh, why is this stuff over here again? Maybe it belongs there. Yes. Yeah. And it may not be where you think, like where you put your yoga mat or where you store your music or things like that. Um, it's not maybe not necessarily the, the, the most conventional place. Uh, but it might be a lot easier to to keep it there um, if that's where you find yourself reaching out for it. Like where you charge your phone might not be in the most logical, the place that somebody might logically think you would, but it just kind of in the way you use your space, it makes sense for you. So just keep your charger there instead of constantly moving it around. Yeah, it's good for optimal living. I love this yeah. point. So the next one here is identify the problem. Mm -hmm. Well, this is funny because you think this would be very obvious, but like I never hung up my, I would never hang up my coat. Nobody in my family would. And I finally realized that the problem was we were all just too lazy to use hangers. That's the sad reality <laughs> of it. So then I put a bunch of hooks inside our closet door and now everybody hangs up their coat because hey, hooks we can use. So the problem was people wouldn't use hangers. Um, and so, so a lot of times if you're like, well, what is the problem? Or like maybe the problem is it's really hard to hang up a coat because there are so many coats in here it's just very jam tight. You're like, okay, the problem is it's just physically difficult to put your coat away. We need to get a third of these coats out and now it's much easier. So to just really stop and identify the problem. We'll get right back to today's episode, but first I wanna share the number one organic marketing strategy for growing your brand. It's called podcast guesting. Whether you're an established business owner or an entrepreneur that's just getting started, being a guest on podcast is the smartest marketing move that you can make. To help you become a successful guest, I've put together a 12-step guide for podcast guesting, which will explain everything from the gear you need to quickly finding the ideal podcast to be a guest on. If you'll visit creatingabrand.com slash guest, you'll be able to get started immediately. No email or registration required. I trust that this 12-step guide will serve you well in your podcast guesting journey. And now let's get back to today's episode. So stage three is to know yourself and others. And it starts off with you talking about knowing your purpose. Yeah, because a lot of times people want to clear clutter because they think they should. Um, but when you really think about why you're doing it, a lot of times it makes it easier to stick to it and also kind of experience the pleasure of when you're doing it. So let's say you're an entrepreneur and you you feel like, oh, I really should clean out my home office. That doesn't, that just sounds like, ah. Eh. 
But if you're like, you know what, if I clean out my home office, then I can move those materials from the garage into my office and they'll be right there at hand. And if I need to consult them, I won't mm -hmm. have to run and get them. They'll just be right there. And if I have everything around me, every time I close the door, I'm just going to feel like I'm in the zone. And so I'm going to get everything out of that home office that's not related to work. Like I've got all this kid stuff in there and I've got all these kind of like files for my old job. I'm going to get it all out. And so this place is like totally dedicated to my new venture. And, and so I can just, the minute I step in here, I'm like ready to, I'm ready to go. And then you're like, yeah, that sounds like something that I want to do because I'm, I'm creating a space that's going to help me move forward instead of like, oh, I should clean this out because I shouldn't be I, like, it's just messy or, you know, or my spouse keeps telling me I should clean it out. It's like, eh, but I'm doing it because I think it's important and it's going to help me do what I want to do. Yeah, it's so true. It reminds me of a, a quote that a mutual friend of ours has, Michael Hyatt. When you know your why, you know your way. Yeah, so exactly. It's really knowing knowing why you're going to do it in the first place. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So the next stage is to cultivate helpful habits. And then you talk about following the one minute rule. Yes. And this for so many people has told me this has been transformative. So again, it is. I know what it's like to have like a full time job and a side hustle. And it's, and you know, and lots of outside responsibilities. So you feel like you have no time. So this rule is if something takes less than a minute, do it without delay. So if you can hang up your coat, if you can put a file away, if you can answer an email that only takes one word to respond to, go ahead and do it. And what this does is it eliminates the clutter that's sort of on the scum on the surface of life. And it doesn't take any time because you just do it in like less than a minute. And so many people have told me that over the course of a couple of weeks, they feel like this massively transformed their environment. Um, and you only have to do it. It takes less than a minute. So it feels like no matter how busy you are, you can manage to work it in. Yeah, I really like that. Because for me, when I get home, sometimes it's just I drop my shoes at home, but then I go to the gym, and I drop my shoes after the gym, and then I put on some flip flops, and I go out again, yeah. I come home, and then I've got this whole stack of things built up when really, it don't take me about 30 seconds to put each of them away. Yes, exactly. uh, and so I've made a, a, a task to do at the end of the day. So yes. I, I actually really like this one. This is very transformative for people and myself included. So the, the next one right along here is, this is a word I've not heard, by the way, but beware of the urge of procrasticlearing? Procrasticlearing. Oh, procrasticlearing. oh uh, you know, entrepreneurs know this. This yeah, is when, <laughs> you know, you're like, it's like, oh, I have this big thing that I don't want to do. And so I feel like I have to clean up my entire office in order to do that. Um, I can't possibly think about... Uh, you know, editing that report until every surface in my house is is uh, is clear. And so this is when, um, yeah, you sort of have this illusion that you can only focus if you get every if you do some kind of massive clutter clearing. Um, now, we talked about it earlier, sometimes clearing clutter can really help us focus It can help us get in the zone. That's absolutely true. But you don't you don't want to use it as an excuse to postpone something that's more important. So you really want to be aware of when you sort of set up these these artificial boundaries, like I can't possibly tackle this X, Y, Z project until I have done until I've achieved this level of clutter clearing. And then usually once you've done that, that problem, the desire to clutter clear utterly vanishes. You know what I mean? It's purely <laughs> there as a procrastination technique. So just beware of that. Yeah, oh, man, I'm, I'm a little bit guilty of this one because what you just said is really true. That last weekend, I needed to do some some editing on some podcast episodes, which can be a little bit daunting. And it's, it's kind of scary to start. And I was looking at the closet saying, you know what, I really shouldn't edit these podcast episodes. I should clean out that closet. 
And yes. then, you know, I made the right choice. I edited the, the podcast episodes, but guess what? I didn't care about the closet afterwards. See, gonna, there you go. <laughs> Perfect example. Perfect example. Now, sometimes people will say to you, oh, well, this is beneficial. Like, this is productive. And I'm like, it's productive in the sense that you're not watching The Office for the 10th time, but you're not doing <laughs> what is your most important aim. And if what really matters most to you is getting those podcasts done in a timely way, this could kind of get out of control. You know, it's okay from time to time, but you want to be aware that it is a it is a technique of procrastination. It's not true productivity. Couldn't agree more. And like no. I said, I'm a, a bit of a product to this one at times, but it was good to actually have a word to it. Procrastin procrastic cleaning, clearing, procrastic yes. clearing. I'm going to get that word clearing. down. <laughs> <laughs> So the, the next thing, this is really good. I think this one especially was really powerful for entrepreneurs. And it's something I immediately went and did after reading the book was to, to fix your desk, to focus your mind. Yeah. You know, it's just very easy for a lot of stuff to accumulate and things you don't even really need. Like you've had a book on your desk for six months and you don't even notice that that book is there or you just are surrounded by pens and pen caps or there's like little piles of trash or there's stuff behind your monitor. Who knows what's back there? A lot of people like jam stuff under their feet. You know, they can barely get their feet under their desk because there's like printer paper, printer cartridge, cart cartridges and like a little filing cabinet and like, you know, vases and Wrapping paper, who knows what you got under there. <laughs> just clearing off your desk often is just very, it's kind of meditative. And you just have this feeling of like, I can stretch out. I have all the space I need. All that stuff has just been put in its place. Can give you a real sense of like this, like kind of this visual noise has turned to like a beautiful silence. And it can be really, really focusing. Yeah, it, it really can. This actually leads me into another one here that's actually something I found fascinating. It was in your book because I've never heard anyone talk about this before, but I've been doing it for years, which is to make your bed. And for me, it's right when I get out of it, make your bed right away. Uh, yeah. Why did you include this one? It's just funny. Like I've been talking to people about happiness project resolutions ever since my book, The Happiness Project came out. And mm -hmm. I'll say to people, what do you do? What makes you happier? And the number one thing people specifically mention, it's not the most consequential thing you could do for your happiness, but the thing most people, the most people mention is making their bed. Hmm. People really feel like this helps them start their day, right? And of course, that like neighbor, I, there's a military guy wrote a whole book called Make Your Bed. It's something that, oh, it's, just, it's like, it's just something that a lot of people feel like helps them start their day off right. It's interesting. And I, I agree with that. I didn't know that there was a, a book about it. I'll have to pick that up. But it is it's really true. But there's always the people on the other side of it that say, well, I'm going make my bed. I'm just going to get back in it. But see, that's fine, too. Like, again, there's no magic one size fits all solution. There's no one right way. There's no one best way. If you don't feel like it makes you start your day right to make your bed, don't do it. There's no magic to it. But for many people, they do feel like and then when they come back in their bedroom and in the evening, it feels calmer. Things are put away. It's easier to find things. Mm -hmm. um, but but it is it's purely what works for you. Yeah, that's good. That's a good point to bring up. So moving along to the fifth and final stage here to add beauty. Uh, the first of which I wanted you to talk about for a moment is to enlarge your workspace. So yeah, you want to just think about how you could make your workspace more convenient, more comfortable. Could you add a wastebasket? Could you add a shelf? Could you add a reading lamp? Could you add a ring lamp, right? How many people these days are buying ring lamps? Mm -hmm. uh, I bought three. So I bought I bought two ring lights. Um, <laughs> and uh, to think about what you could do to uh, just make it a better setup for yourself. Yeah, I think it's so important to have the place feel like something you want to be in. Right. That's yeah. what the ad, the ad beauty part of it is to really yeah. be where you want to be. Yeah. Uh, the next thing you mentioned is to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. 
Yeah, you know, this is always important for any kind of discussion of happiness, because when we feel grateful, like it drives out feelings of anger and resentment. And it also uh, helps you not take things for granted. And so really to think about, oh, I love the fact that I have a window, or I love the fact that I have an office, or I love the fact that um, I got new speakers or whatever it is um, to feel grateful for it really helps to drive out um, negative emotions. Yeah, for me, it was, it was actually funny in, in my own little office, like th there's not a lot to it. It's pretty simple. But uh, my wife is actually a bit of an artist and she made a sound wave of me saying my podcast name and she actually took like the, the sound bite of it and turned it into a painting, put it on the wall. And that's kind of my the beauty that I added. It's something that I'm always thankful for that's in that office because everything else is pretty standard. There's nothing really fancy in there, but I have that and it really makes it, again, something special and beautiful to me. That is such a great gift for a podcaster. She should like make a side hustle of that. That's a brilliant <laughs> idea. I bet right? so many podcasters would give that to each other as gifts. For it's sure. A, it's a brilliant idea. I That's agree. A brilliant idea. I'm going to have her send you and your sister one. That's what oh, we're going to do. Oh my gosh. I would love that. I love it because the sign, the my next book is going to be about the five senses. So I've been thinking a lot about sound waves and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, colors and the waves and um, yeah, yeah. Uh, ultraviolet stuff. and all that. Yeah. We'll be looking forward to that. I've been a huge yeah. fan of all your work for a long oh. time. So I'll be looking yeah. forward to that too. Yeah. So the last one in this in this fifth stage is to remember love, if you can just kind of end it with that. Oh, yeah. You know, the thing about clutter is it's easy to say, oh, my gosh, I just I have all these toys for my kids. Like, what am I going to do with it? Um, or, you know, you got all your husband's college T-shirts or your parents just they've got boxes and boxes of your schoolwork from when you were in grade school. <laughs> right. And just remember that all that clutter is just an expression of love and that can help you see it in a different way. Ah, oh, that's so good. I love that. Gretchen, this has been a really fun conversation. I know that we had one more thing we wanted to kind of transition into. Can you kind of share your final thoughts with us today? I know this will be a few minute conversation here, but I'm looking forward to kind of transition this a little bit as a bonus for the listeners today. There we go. So let's talk about the four tendencies, because I know your audience are people who are entrepreneurs and they're mm -hmm. they're they're undertaking new ventures. And the, understanding the four tendencies personality profile is something I think could be really helpful for people in that situation. Um, and this is a personality framework that I, I stumbled into discovering when I was studying habits, like how people did or did not successfully change their habits. And what I realized is that people fall into four categories, upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels, um, depending on how they respond to expectations, which sounds super boring, but actually turns out to be a really, really <laughs> juicy thing to know. So I'm going to describe these super quick. Now, if people want to take a quiz, if you know, some people love to take a quiz that like will spit out an answer and give you like a little report, they can do it at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. Three million people have taken this quiz. It's quick. It's free. Wow. Okay. Um, but I'll just briefly describe them here, and most people know what they are right away. Uh, they know what the Game of Thrones characters are, Parks and Recreation characters. You know, uh, I, it, it's very blatant once you know them. Um, so most people don't need to take the quiz, but it is at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. So it, we, it, what this looks at is how you respond to expectations. And of course, for entrepreneurs, this is really important. There are outer expectations like a work deadline or a request from a friend. And there are inner expectations like I want to keep a New Year's resolution or I want to create a new website. So depending on how you meet outer and inner expectations in combination, that's what makes you an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. 
So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the nearest resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. So their motto is discipline is my freedom. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. They have to know why. They resist anything arbitrary, inefficient, unjustified. Um, if something meets their inner standard, they will do it no problem. If something fails their inner standard, they will push back. So their motto is, I will comply if you convince me why. Next is obliger. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And so this is the person who says something like, I don't understand it. I never miss a deadline at work, but when I'm trying to get my own side hustle off the ground, I can never make myself a priority. I can never make time for my own projects. So the answer to this, and the obliger is the biggest tendency for both men and women. So you either are an obliger, you have many obligers in your life. It's very common. Mm -hmm is if you have an inner expectation, you must create a system of outer accountability. That is how obligers uh, can meet their inner expectations. And we can talk about different ways that entrepreneurs might do that. Um, so their motto is, you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do, anything they choose to do. But if someone else asks or tells them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And they, and they typically don't tell themselves what to do. Like they don't sign up for a 10 a.m. Uh, you know, software building class at Saturday on Saturday because they're like, I don't know what I'm going to want to do on Saturday. And just the idea that somebody's expecting me to show up is going to right. annoy me. So their motto is you can't make me and neither can I. Um, and so the thing about the four tendencies is if you're, if you're running into challenges, either with managing yourself or managing, managing someone else, if you have conflict, procrastination, just befuddlement about like why they're behaving the way they are or why you're behaving the way you are. A lot of times the four tendencies can offer solutions um, to help tackle whatever is frustrating you. I love it. I'm glad this is probably the best like bonus we've ever had from, from, <laughs> a, from a guest on creating a brand. So thank you. This is really good. Um, I think that I personally, I'm going to take the quiz, but I think that I'm probably an upholder. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's where what I'm I am. Cool. There we go. Like-minded. I like it. But like you're saying that most entrepreneurs, especially the newer ones, are probably the obliger, right? The ones that can can really follow through for a boss. But when it comes to themselves, they really struggle, especially initially. And that's not to put anybody down. But can you talk about that point a little bit more? Because I think that that's really where the audience is going to be at. Yeah. So what you want to do if you're an obliger and you're trying to do something for your like on your own is that you need to create a system of outer accountability. Unfortunately, there are many, many ways to do that. So one thing that many obligers who are, who are like starting up new ventures do is they go ahead and they create a client, a student um, or, a, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, beneficiary even before they have a product. So it's like you tell people to sign up for your newsletter before you've even written the newsletter, or you tell people to sign up for your class before you've created your online course. Or like, I know somebody who wanted to write an ebook and she wasn't making any progress. So then she interviewed a bunch of people and said, Oh, I'm going to interview you for my book. And then the, the people were like, Ooh, I, I want to see what, like, what did you quote me saying in your book? And she's like, Oh, I have to write this book because all these people are waiting for it. So you can go ahead and create that client or that uh, customer or that um, student uh, as a way and then or like you know you're like oh I'm going to take pictures for your wedding I guess I'm going to have to figure out how to like deal with that you know so you just <laughs> jump the gun and you may have to do it for free um, 
uh, as a way to get going, but just having somebody else expecting you to come through for them will, will be useful. Another thing is coaches. A lot of times people will use some kind of coach. Um, there are writing coaches, there are executive coaches, there's all kinds of coaches. And if you don't want to, I, I'm a big fan of paying people for accountability because it's burdensome to create, to ask people to give you accountability. Um, but if you don't want to pay for it, it's, you can also have like make groups of friends or, you know, with people where you're each going to hold each other accountable and have check-ins. I know people that were writing their PhD thesis and every two weeks they would meet and it, and they didn't like read each other's stuff or anything. It was just like, literally, did you work on your PhD thesis? And, and they knew that they had to report to each other and it really helped them to follow through. Um, another thing to think of is using your duty to be a role model for other people. So maybe you're going to tell people, maybe you're going to announce it on social media. Oh, I'm doing this. And you need to hold on to it because you want to show that you can keep your word to yourself. Or maybe it's, it's like, I know somebody who was starting a jewelry making company and she said to her kids, you guys have your homework and I have my homework, which is working on my jewelry business. Um, and so I'm going to work on my work when you're working on your work. And by the way, kids, if I'm not working on my work, you don't have to work on your work. And so they were watching her like <laughs> policemen because they're like, hey, right. mom. <laughs> Oh, if you take a day off, we all get to take a day off. So then she felt stuck. She felt like she had to do it because she didn't want them to, uh, you know, to, 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 to abandon their schoolwork. So there's a lot of ways to do it. One thing I will say for obligers, and this might be true for people who are starting things kind of like from, from kind of from home, you need outer accountability. So you need it to come from the outside. Um, but once you realize that outer accountability is what you need, it's pretty easy to get it. It's just that I think a lot of times people feel like they need to be inner motivated and they don't under, they, they say things like, I need to make myself a priority. I need to have more self-esteem. I need to learn to make time for my own values. And it's like, no, you need outer accountability. And the minute they have outer accountability, they're just like, you see this is with writers a lot, that writers who are like on staff at a newspaper or a magazine, they have no writer's block. Then they go off and try to write a book. They have writer's block. I'm like, you don't have writer's block. You need outer accountability. You're used to having an editor and a deadline and a byline. And now you need to recreate that architecture. It's not hard, but that's what you need to do. But if you don't realize that's the missing piece, you can like kind of flail around not realizing what would really allow mm -hmm. you to move forward more quickly. 100%. I love these points. These are so good. I think back to the, the very first one you mentioned is to create basically your client before you have a product. That's yeah. some, some accountability there. Get the coaches and then the public accountability. These are yeah. all such valuable points. Uh, creating a brand, make sure you're really catching all this and make sure you go take this quiz to see where you're at on it. Gretchen, this was a really fun conversation. One of the most fun I've ever had on, oh. on this podcast. This is great. Yeah, we're interested in so many of the same things. I feel like we could talk all day. For sure. I'm glad we didn't spend the whole time talking about The Office, although that, that's totally fine. <laughs> we'll do a bonus episode where we just like talk about our favorite parts. <laughs> right? So, I, hey, if you ever find yourself in Jacksonville, Florida, my wife and I would love for you to stop by and help us to create more outer order in our uh, lives as well. Because you know, we like to help people you don't know. So we would you, love that. <laughs> believe me, I have been known to do exactly that. There's nothing <laughs> that I find more fun than cleaning out someone else's clutter. So watch out. <laughs> love it. Well, Gretchen, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was fun to talk to you. Gretchen was so much fun to talk to. I so appreciate having an office fan on the podcast. I want to challenge each of you to take action this week to gain more inner calm and happiness in your life by decluttering and or organizing using one or more of the hacks that Gretchen shared with us today.
I also want to mention that I greatly appreciate how Gretchen shared the four tendencies with us at the end of the episode as a bonus. It's very powerful when we better understand ourselves internally, and it can also lead us to a greater inner calm and happiness in our lives. That's how those things really tie together, so I'm really glad she covered both of them. Gretchen, thank you again for being a guest and sharing your positive message with us today. To pick up a copy of Gretchen Rubin's book, Outer Order, Inner Calm, and for a link to her Four Tendencies quiz and her podcast, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 077. Thank you as always for listening. I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode in three weeks after a short break. So happy holidays, everybody, and I will see you in 2021.